Our scripture this morning is John chapter 15, verses 18 through 27. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. God. Good morning. My name is Dave Farley. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF. Let me mention a couple of quick things before I preach. February of 2025, GCF North is going to... Israel. Uh, if you would like to go with us, please go to our website this week and fill out a survey. Space is limited. Uh, I, I think we have around 40 to 45 spots. Uh, so go to our website this week, uh, fill out the survey as soon as possible. Also, keep your eye on the newsletter. There'll be information in there as well. Um, John mentioned earlier that we typically work through books of the Bible. I, I want to just briefly mention um, our philosophy of preaching at GCF. Uh, we believe in what's called expository preaching. What that means is the burden of the text becomes the message of the sermon. We also believe in what's called consecutive exposition or lecto continuana. What that means is that we think it's best to feed the sheep by moving through books of the Bible consecutively. So I did not plan months ago to be uh, uh, in a text on persecution on Mother's Day, but here we are. (laughs) Uh, And I'm trusting God's sovereignty over the preaching schedule. I realized this week, oh man, Mother's Day, persecution. But someone mentioned, but moms get persecuted too. So I guess that's the case, unfortunately. Uh, With that in mind, let's pray once again uh, and ask for God's grace uh, as the word is preached. Father, we are so thankful uh, for all the moms here this morning. Lord, what a blessing to have so many godly, wonderful moms that work so hard for your glory to raise godly kids and who sacrifice all the time. Father, I pray that as the word of God is preached, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts. Lord, help us to understand and apply Uh, the teachings of sacred scripture to our broken lives this morning. Thank you for the hope that's in this passage. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. According to a LifeWay research group, in the past year, 360 million Christians suffered significant persecution for their faith. Every day in 2021, over uh, 16 people were killed a day, 
around the world for following Jesus, with close to roughly 6,000 martyrs. Now, that, that martyr figure depends on how you're defining a martyr. Some have that number a lot higher, but this particular group says roughly 6,000 people were put to death in 2021 for following Jesus. Another study found that 111 countries who either restrict or are hostile to Christianity. In North Korea alone, 50 to 70,000 Christians are being held in detention camps. Maybe you have experienced milder forms of persecution for following Jesus. Unfortunately, persecution comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Maybe you have been mocked for being an intolerant, hate-filled Christian. Maybe you were passed over for promotion at work because of your Christian convictions. Or maybe your old friends began to ignore you when you announced that you had recently put your hope and confidence in Jesus Christ. If you've not experienced persecution yet for following Jesus, more than likely you will in the near future because our culture increasingly hates Jesus. Well, how can you and I overcome the hatred of the world. That brings us to this wonderful text, John 15, verses 18 to 27. And according to this text, you and I uh, can overcome the hatred of the world by the help of the Spirit. Again, we can overcome the hatred of the world by the help of the Holy Spirit. God has given us everything we need to stand strong in the day of persecution. Two truths this morning I want us to understand. Number one is we are hated by the world. And number two is we are helped by the Spirit. First, we are hated by the world. Dave, are we really hated by the world? That's an awfully strong word to use. Does the world really hate Jesus and his followers? And the answer is yes, according to Jesus. Look with me at John 15, 18. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know it has hated me before it hated you. When describing the saints' relationship with the world, Jesus uses the word hate eight times in this passage. Well, why such hatred? Let me ask a few specific questions to get to the bottom of that. Uh, who are the haters? Well, the haters are the world. Look with me again at John 15, 18 to 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What does Jesus mean when he uses the word world? He's not referring to planet Earth, as many of you know. The world, from a Christian point of view, refers to all the people, plans, organizations, activities, and philosophies, and values that are uh, belonging to a society without God. And the world's hostility often shows up uh, in a variety of places. The entertainment industry, false religions, higher education, Politics, religion, that's the world. That's the system that is set uh, against God and the things of God. So who are the haters? The answer is the world. Well, who do they hate specifically? Jesus. Look with me at John 15, 20 to 21. Again, Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. The world persecuted Jesus because they hated him. Now, that word persecute in verse 20 has the sense of to chase a wild beast. So, the world was chasing Jesus like a wild beast. Did they really hate him? Yes. (laughs) Within 24 short hours of him uttering these words, he was falsely accused, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was stripped naked. And then he was crucified over a garbage dump on a cross. That pretty much sounds like hatred to me. They hated him with a passion. Yes, the world hated Jesus. Jesus says that since the world hated him, they will also hate his followers. Verse 20. The more we are like Jesus, the more the world is going to hate us, persecute us. And people still hate Jesus. In fact, the hostility towards Jesus in this culture is growing every decade. In 1934, the veterans of foreign war, VFW, erected a cross in the Mojave Desert as a monument to fallen soldiers in World War I. In 2001, the American Civil Liberties Union the ACLU, not a friend of Christianity, filed a suit on behalf of a man named Frank Bono, who was offended by the emblem of Christ's atoning death. Since the VFW had donated its monument to the U.S. Park Service, the suit claimed that the cross violated the separation of church and state. Maybe, maybe not. In response, the department of the interior transferred the ownership of the monument back to the VFW. Far from being satisfied, the ACLU filed a new suit opposing the transfer of the land and demanded that the cross be taken down. At the time of this writing, the cross is covered by a plywood box and the matter awaits the Supreme Court. It's hard to imagine that Muhammad or the Buddha or an atheist symbol would receive such hostility. Consider another story. After the 2004 U.S. presidential election, humorist Garrison Keillor spoke on uh, government-funded national public radio in favor of a, quote, constitutional amendment to deny voting rights to born-again Christians. It's hard to imagine that a similar statement would avoid public outrage if Keeler had stated that Jews and Muslims and homosexuals should not be permitted to vote. Of course, Keeler was not punished because he was speaking against the rights of Christians. The world's hatred of Jesus is incredibly ironic when you stop and think about it. Why? He's the most loving person to ever live. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He served the outcasts and stood up for the weak and the vulnerable. So why does the world hate Jesus and his followers so much? Let's keep reading. Who are the haters? The world. Who do they hate? Jesus and by extension, his followers. Why? Why do they hate Jesus? 
because he spoke truth to them. Look with me at verses 22 to 24. Jesus said, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus is not saying that if he had not come, these people would be sinless. Rather, he's saying if he had not come, they would not be guilty of the horrendous crime of persecuting and then murdering the most loving person to ever live. That is Jesus. And he revealed the full revelation of God the Father to us, verse 22 and verse 24. Verse 22 really is the key. Jesus says in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, which raises the question, what did Jesus speak to them that raised such incredible hostility? He spoke truth to them. He told them, and he tells everyone everywhere, that our sin is so evil and so grievous that you and I deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. Our sin is so bad that we deserve hell. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but people don't like to be told that they are evil or wicked or their sins are so bad that they deserve eternal conscious torment. But that's what Jesus, the most loving person to ever live, clearly said to his audiences. But he also gave them the incredibly good news of the gospel. He said, yes, your sin separates you from me. It deserves judgment. But I came to suffer and die on the cross and remove the guilt of all your sins so that all those who trust in me can experience life and joy and peace for all eternity. So he gave them good news. But he also told them the bad news of sin and judgment. It was the message of Jesus that caused the world to hate him. An African chief visited a mission station many decades ago, and hanging outside the missionary's cabin on a tree was a little mirror. And the chief happened to look into the mirror, and she saw her reflection. This was a female chief. And she saw all the hideous paint and evil features on her face. And as she gazed at her own terrifying reflection in the mirror, she jumped back in horror, exclaiming, who is that horrible-looking person inside that tree? Oh, the missionary said, uh, it's not in the tree. The glass is reflecting your own face. The chief would not believe it until she held the mirror in her hand. She said, I must have that glass. How much will you sell it for? The missionary said, well, it's not for sale. I don't want to sell it. But she begged, and she begged until he capitulated. And she took the mirror, exclaiming, I will never have it making faces at me again. And she threw it down and broke it into pieces. That's precisely what the Jews did with Jesus. He held up a mirror, and he said, this is what you look like. You're all lawbreakers and sinners and unrighteous, therefore you deserve judgment. They didn't like that. So they threw him on the cross and broke his body in pieces. Things haven't changed all that much 
in 2,000 years. The world still hates Jesus because he speaks truth. And when you and I, his followers, speak truth, they'll hate us as well. For instance, when you and I stand up and say, Jesus Christ is the only way to God. All other ways lead to death and destruction. The world's going to hate us. Or when you and I say that human sexuality is reserved for heterosexual monogamous marriage, everything else is sinful and unrighteous, the world's going to hate us. Or when you and I say that trying to transition your gender is rebellion against God's plan, the world's going to hate us. And those things are very, very clear in the testimony of Scripture. The world increasingly hates what the Bible says. Jesus tells the disciples that the world will hate them when they speak truth. Why does he tell them this? Why this pessimistic perspective? Because Jesus wants to fortify them and fortify us. By warning his disciples in advance, Jesus ensures that they will not be surprised when persecution comes. Sometimes leaders will only want to say positive things or happy things, yet Winston Churchill's famous blood, toil, tears, and sweat speech was exactly what Britain needed to hear in 1940 before the Germans invaded. He was fortifying them for the future. Now, I'm not a prophet but it does seem like persecution is intensifying in our nation. I have a friend who's a pastor in Portland of a large church. In the last year, an angry, woke mob surrounded the church building and did all kinds of vandalism, thousands of dollars in damage with spray paint, broken windows, broken all kinds of things. Why? Because this church stands for truth. And of course, no one was arrested, even though there were hundreds of people there in this angry mob attacking my friend's church. And things like that seem to be happening more and more frequently in our culture. And Jesus is simply saying, I want to prepare you for that. Don't be surprised when that happens. That's normal. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Jesus wants us to remember that persecution is part of the Christian life. 2 Timothy 3.12, the Apostle Paul says this, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Philippians 1.29, Paul says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. And 1 Peter 4.12-13, Peter says this, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. And so something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you've never experienced persecution, that may be God's kindness to you, or it may be that you're living just like the world. Which one is it? One scholar says this, the world does not hate a false Christianity that differs little from itself. The world will tolerate a Christian who remains silent and fits in. But it hates a living testimony to, to saving grace and a truly holy life. If you were arrested today on a charge of dis discipleship to Jesus, would there be enough evidence to sustain the charge against you? Furthermore, Jesus wants you and I 
to count the cost of following him. This text makes it very, very clear that there is a cost involved in following King Jesus. It's costly. It may cost you your life. Maybe you're wondering, well, why in the world would I follow him? Is it worth it? What's the point? If it just means suffering and pain and possibly death, why would I follow Jesus? Because there is incredible payoff or reward for those who follow Jesus. It may cost you your life, but you will gain everything that matters. You will gain relationship with the triune God. You will gain the forgiveness of sins. You will gain adoption into God's family. You will gain the protection of God. You will gain hope and purpose and strength to say no to sin, and you will gain eternal life and glory. And all that comes to those, not who work really hard and are super religious, but all of those blessings come to those who humble themselves and say, I need Jesus. And the grace and strength and forgiveness that he so richly supplies. All that comes to us free of charge. That's the gain. Yes, it may cost you your life, but you'll gain everything that matters for all eternity. So is it worth it to follow Jesus? Absolutely. Without doubt. Without question. If someone were to say to you, if I can take a hammer and smash your thumb and then give you a billion dollars, how many would say yes to that offer? Really? (laughs) Really? $10 billion? $100 billion? $100 billion? Okay. A little teeny tiny bit of pain for an immense reward. And eternal life with Christ is far more valuable than 10 billion trillion dollars. So we have to count the cost. There is a cost involved in following Jesus. It may involve persecution, pain, and even martyrdom. Is it worth it? Absolutely, without question. Without question. At this point, maybe you're wondering, how in the world am I going to find the strength to stand strong in the midst of persecution? I mean, I don't know about you, but I often capitulate to fear of man when the pressure is really intense. Where are we going to find the grace and strength to stay strong in the midst of persecution? Well, that brings us to the second point and the good news. First, we are hated by the world. But second, you and I are helped by the Holy Spirit. We are helped by the Spirit. Well, how does the Spirit help us during persecution? In a few ways. The Spirit helps bear witness to the believer. What do I mean? Look with me at John 15, 26. Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit is called the helper. And the Holy Spirit will help the the disciples uh, and us when we are hated by the world by bearing witness or pointing to Jesus Christ. This is the Holy Spirit's primary role in our lives. 
Packer famously said that the Holy Spirit's ministry is a floodlight ministry. He is constantly fixing our gaze on Jesus, putting a huge floodlight on the person and work of Jesus Christ. His job, his privilege is to say, look at how amazing Jesus is. So as you and I read the Bible and pray, the Holy Spirit makes known to us the glory of Christ. And the more you and I see the glory of King Jesus as he is hanging there on a cross, loving us, suffering for us, the more we see that glorious picture of Jesus, the more we're willing to suffer for him and the more we're willing to take up our crosses and follow him. Then in verse 26, Jesus says that the Spirit will bear witness about me. And he does this through the scriptures primarily. When persecution comes, the Holy Spirit helps us by pointing us to the glory of Christ. So the application should be obvious. As we read our Bibles, we must cry out to God the Spirit and say, Spirit of God, help me see your glory. The older I get, the more I realize there is one thing necessary in life, period. And that is seeing the glory of Jesus. When we see that, everything changes. We are willing to make great sacrifices for Jesus, give away vast amounts of money, suffer and be persecuted because we see how glorious and valuable and worthy Jesus is. So that's the antidote, seeing the glory of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit helps us do that as we fix our gaze on the sacred scriptures. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit helps us remember and believe Jesus' teaching. What does Jesus teach about this particular area of persecution? Uh, one of my favorite texts on this subject is Matthew 5, verses 10 and 12. And Jesus utters these astonishing words. He says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, in the Greek it says, and be exceedingly glad. Really, Jesus? Exceedingly glad when persecution comes? How or why? For, he says, your reward is great in heaven. When persecution comes, you and I have a chance to store up for ourselves great reward in heaven, which should make us exceedingly glad. We have nothing to fear when it comes to persecution. Persecution is an opportunity for you and I to gain rewards for all eternity. And this life is incredibly short, and eternity is forever, and all that matters is storing up rewards in heaven. And we do that as we suffer under persecution. This brings me tremendous comfort. Because I read the news, I see the headlines, things are changing very rapidly in our culture. And I'm tempted to be afraid. What if I have to go to jail for preaching the gospel in 10 years or 20 years? That's a possibility. If you think it's not, you're naive. You've not read church history or the news. But if that happens, what that means is I'm getting great reward in heaven. And so are you. 
when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. In the moment of temptation, the Spirit of God will help us believe these glorious truths. The Spirit helps by bearing witness to the believer. In addition, the Spirit helps by bearing witness through the believer. To the believer, and then also through the believer. What do I mean? Verse 27, Jesus says, And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus declares that the mission of the helper, the Holy Spirit, is to bear witness about him. Then he immediately adds, and you also will bear witness, NIV says, and you also must testify. According to one scholar, this juxtaposition, that is the Spirit's witness and our witness, mentioned in 26 and 27, suggests that the testifying of the disciples is not something in addition to the witness of the helper, but the means by which the helper carries out his mission. Furthermore, they will bear witness to the disciples about Jesus in that power of the Holy Spirit because they were with him from the beginning. In other words, they were eyewitnesses of all that Christ didn't said. Their faith was not based on a blind leap. Their faith was rooted in historical evidence. And the Spirit of God helped them believe that evidence and then helped them proclaim in boldness and great power the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The point, the Holy Spirit will help us be bold when persecution strikes. And a few days after Christ spoke these incredible words of comfort and hope to the disciples, he rose from the grave victoriously. Then where did he go? He ascends to his Father's right hand. Then what does he do? Then he pours out the Spirit at Pentecost. And a bunch of weak, cowardly disciples proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with great boldness and confidence to great effect in the midst of intense hostility. Listen to Acts 4.29. This is the, the prayer of Peter. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, the threats of the religious leaders, threats of violence and persecution, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness, verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Well, you and I have the courage to proclaim the gospel boldly when the persecution intensifies. No. <laughs> well, you and I have the courage to take a bold stand for Jesus across the, front, the fence, at the office, in the classroom, or at the party. No. In our own strength, you and I, we, us together, generally speaking, are cowards. <laughs> or is it just me? It's all of us, especially when your job's on the line or when your life's on the line 
or when your family's safety is in jeopardy, then will you and I proclaim the gospel boldly? In our own strength? No way. No way. But the risen Christ has sent the helper, and he will give us grace and courage and boldness and power to proclaim the gospel in the midst of intense persecution, hostility, and martyrdom. He promises to do that for us. But you and I must humble ourselves and ask for help. Daily saying, Holy Spirit, give me grace and strength and courage today when there's no persecution to proclaim the gospel boldly. Then when the persecution comes, I'll be well-versed and well-practiced in relying on you. This is a scary prayer to pray, but when you pray it, when you pray every day, God, give me opportunities today to share the gospel boldly. When you pray that prayer, it's amazing how many times God answers that prayer. So if you pray that prayer, be prepared to step out in faith and proclaim the gospel boldly. But here's the good news. When the world hates us, the Holy Spirit helps us. He helps us. He helps us. On February 22nd, 156 AD, Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, was finally discovered by his enemies. He made no attempt to escape at this point. He was an old, frail man, 86 years old. Instead, he offered his captors food and drink and then asked for mercy. He said, can you give me two hours to pray for grace and strength and courage? They said yes. Then they arrested him. And two weeks later, Polycarp was led into an amphitheater in front of thousands of Romans. The proconsul said in a loud voice, Polycarp, I will have mercy on you because of your old age. Swear just once by the genius of Caesar, and I will immediately release you. In other words, swear that Caesar is Lord. Polycarp replied, 86 years have I served Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my Savior and King? The proconsul persisted, saying, the wild beasts are ready. If you refuse to swear by Caesar, you'll be thrown to them. Polycarp answered, bid them be brought. Infuriated, the proconsul responded, I will give you one last chance to change your mind, or I shall destroy your body with fire. Polycarp refused to cower. As the flames grew hotter and hotter, engulfing Polycarp's old frail body and destroying his flesh, he raised his voice one last time and spoke of the glories of King Jesus. And then he met his maker. Polycarp overcame the hatred of the world as he was helped by the Holy Spirit. And we too can overcome the hatred of the world as we are helped by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.